Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is Thursday, and that means Guy Talk is going to happen. We're going to do the extended version today, so a full 90 minutes with the power panel, which is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. And I also forgot my power cord at home today, so when my computer dies in about 12 minutes, <laughs> um, that will be all of Guy Talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so make sure you send your questions over. We'll get another monitor up with the, uh, the text line up. Again, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, good good afternoon. Always good to be here, Bill. Yeah. So here's a question. Good afternoon, Bill. Thanks, Jeff. How do you do do when you're waiting for circumstances in your life to improve? How well do you do? I don't think people, most people do well, and, and here's the reason why. We have an expectation what should come out of those circumstances. That's not always what the Lord wants. That's not always what the circumstances bring us. And as a result, it's too easy to get disappointed. I've had to learn, because I was very good at telling the Lord what needed to be done in my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to learn through a lot of disappointment, a lot of hurt, and a lot of pain that he knows what's right, and I have to depend upon him. And although I want it to come out in a certain way, you know, and I'll pray for my kids, I'll pray for friends or others or something in my own life, Ultimately, I have to say, Lord Jesus, it's in your hands. Do what you know is best. And once I learned, began to learn how to do that, I got a lot of freedom from worrying about the future and being frustrated when I didn't get exactly what I thought I should get. Mm-hmm. How do you personally, though, Tom, Jeff, before you jump in, yep. uh, how do you personally deal with it when you're in that wait mode, when things have changed and you'd like them back to where they were or even a little bit better. And all of a sudden you don't know when that's going to happen. And the waiting game begins. Yep. Like King David in the Psalms, I complain to the Lord. Okay. I mean, I really go and talk to Jesus and say, good for you. I can't figure out what you're doing, Jesus. Why is this happening? Why isn't this working out? Why is it when they call this person? I don't get a response or whatever it may be. And the more I learn to do that, and here's the good part, Bill, Jesus is incredibly patient. He will put up with me, and it's usually in those circumstances that he'll either lead me to Scripture or he'll lead me to somebody or he'll open up an opportunity, and I see things a little differently than I did before. Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff? You know, I don't think very many of us are patient by nature. Um, we, Like Tom said, we want to be in control. We want things to go as we want them to go, and uh, Scripture says to wait on the Lord. He says to do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. So if there's something in my life personally that that I'm anxious about or I'm impatient about or that I want to happen in a certain way or or any I want my will to be done, the only place to go is back to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to be anxious. I'm going to lay this at your feet. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had a an ongoing discussion with somebody or a situation and you're, 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 you lie at, at awake at night with your head on the pillow and you're thinking about what you're going to say, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. And when I 
get there. When I get to that point, I try to turn it over to the Lord and lay it at his feet. And then it comes back into my mind and I have to lay it at his feet again. And then it comes back and I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this. And then I got to lay it back on his feet again. And I think that's, uh, and then you know what? And when this has happened to me and you get there, it just seems to work out. And Mm -hmm. I just go, thank you, Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. So when you talk to God and uh, Tom Parrish, do you do you say what is the point of this? Why why no answer yet? Do you get frustrated? Do you because right now there's a number of things that I'm I'm waiting to see improvement in, and it's a hurry up and wait game. Yeah, and and I'm trying not to be. Uh, I'm just trying to be prayerful about it. But you know, I'm still waking up at night going, huh? Wonder when things are going to improve. Well. And that's being very human. Here's the thing I found out about the Lord Jesus. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to tell him the truth about where we're at and what we're thinking. There are times uh, in my walk with the Lord, I've gotten very frustrated with Jesus. Why didn't you do this, Lord? Why didn't this come through? Mm-hmm. Why didn't this happen? And now I, I'm i kind of like David in the Psalms, uh, although I hadn't planned it that way. So in the middle of the Psalm, I'm complaining. And then at the end of the Psalm, I always say, but Lord, I know you know what's best, and yeah. I leave it in your hands. And for whatever reason, Bill, he's been patient with me and tolerant and enabled me to get through those things and at times give insight and help to others. Mm-hmm. Also throw that out to anyone listening. When you are in that waiting zone and you're hoping things improve or the situation in your life, your circumstances get better, how do you uh, go about it? What do you do? And is there a specific uh, piece of scripture you go to? Is there an activity that you do to help uh, just alleviate some fear or some anxiety or whatever it is? I think it would be helpful to hear from listeners. And if you're willing to share, please do. 877-933-2484. This is Guide Talk, and my power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish, who apparently as of uh, today has a fan club. (laughs) <laughs> which I just learned about. I haven't even talked to Jeff about this yet, oh, but no. I got a voicemail on my work phone uh, of a fan club that's been formed for t- uh, Pastor Tom Parrish. <laughs> Who knew? I, have, I have nothing to say about this. Nor does I Jeff. Think, you can I, tell everyone's going quiet. You, I thank you out there, but I'm just a man like everybody else. Yeah. You know, just yeah. one person. All right. All right. Here's a question that just came in. The Bible says in the end, all will be revealed. What is the all that will be revealed? Boy, all is all usually in Scripture, and I'm trying to think of the exact passage where it says all will be revealed. Um, I know in the back of the book in Revelation it it says that when uh, when the at the end of the millennial reign, judgment day comes, the lost will be judged, and then he says heaven and earth will flee from his presence, and he will make a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and it's at that point that the Bible says that God will make all things new. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness. Can you imagine? I mean, think about how much pain and sickness and disease affects us, you know, every day in this world. And there'll be no no more. It says the old order of things will pass away and he will make all things new. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking for the all things revealed, but maybe he could give us the reference that he's thinking of. I love photography, and so I've had color charts. And in the old days when I was in the dark room, I would compare the color chart to what I was trying to get out of the picture. What I didn't realize is that among the colors, you just take the color red, there are 
virtually a thousand variations of red. It is astounding and of green and of purple. When the word of God says all things will be revealed, we're going to learn things we never even ask questions about. <laughs> Good point. We're going to see things we never even dreamed were possible. We're going to look at this and we're going to look at the Lord and we're going to be in awe. And I think for me, that's the greatest word I can use. I will be in awe of Jesus for what he's done and who he is and the fact he took time out for little old me and for you. That's astounding. And we have the privilege of uh, being part of that someday. I love it. Jeff, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I was just searching for all things will be revealed. And so I don't, I didn't find specifically that passage. So I don't uh, know what he's talking about. I just had this conversation with some friends, actually, that when we get to heaven, will we know everything? And it's an interesting question. And I don't think that we will know all. That would make us omniscient like God. I think we will have a much fuller understanding. The, the word says that now we see dimly as if in a mirror. We see in part. Then we shall know fully and we'll see much better. But I remember one guy describing the word of God as being infinitely deep and that we will spend all of eternity understanding the nuances that God has woven into his word. And I, I really like the process of discovery when I study God's word. And, and I can imagine discovery after discovery after discovery when we are in eternity. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing. Now, you don't have the privilege that I've had of, of being married to Jan for all these years because I would always say things like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord this question. And she started coming back at me and saying, Tom, it won't matter. When you're in the presence of Jesus, you're going to experience and see things you've never even thought possible. And the little questions that we have now really won't matter then. And I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, you know, the ultimate goal is to be in the presence of the Lord. And you're right, Jeff, when we're in his presence, he's going to reveal things to us beyond anything we've ever comprehended. And the things we think so important now probably won't even need to have them answered because they're already be taken care of. You know, there's one passage in Scripture. You know, we of this new final state, the eternal state of, of believers, we actually don't have that much in terms of descriptions in Scripture. We have basically one chapter at the end of the book of Revelation that describes this final eternal state. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Eternity is more than we can even imagine. Good word. Tom, I loved your comment about you get to glory and you're going to be discovering things and getting answers to questions you never asked. Yeah. And you think of the creative nature of God and, I mean, come on, there's over 20,000 different kinds of worms. Exactly. Yeah, I know of like three. <laughs> Yeah, I know four. You know four. So. Yeah, that's it. I, know. I, knew, I, I know one. Mr. Smart. I know pants. worms. That's all I know. Yeah, and there's one more worm than me. Well, I'm a fisherman. So and three I, more, <laughs> three less than Jeff. So, But you, you're right, you and put it's us overwhelming. In our place once again. That's why you have your own fan club. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, all right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll answer your question. Let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Eight four, Rosie, give me some banjo on the way out. We want.
want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, we're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome back to the happiest show in the afternoon on Christian Radio. That is Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk. My power panel today is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. And great questions have come in. Here's a question. Let's do a little quick follow-up here to the first question we talked about regarding um, all will be revealed. He, He or she followed up with, I think it's Luke 12, verses 2 and 3. Tom Parrish, do you have that up? I do. What does it say? Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Pretty powerful stuff. It is good. You know, and and that's where when people talk about, Bill, I, I want justice in my life for what's happened, or why isn't the Lord dealing with this uh, justly? The bottom line is, in this life, there are horrible things that happen. I hate to say that. But Jesus says the day is coming where it doesn't matter what the injustice is. I will deal with it, and I will make things right, and I will have the final word. And for me, that's very encouraging because I don't have to make everything right in my life or in other people's lives. I have to trust Jesus to do that. I like. Jeff? You know, when we are wronged or people lie and and you seem to know the truth, but the lie seems to, uh, you know, advance faster than you can get the truth out or there's injustice or whatever. You just have this desire to set things right. And I think that's kind of the heart of this passage. There's going to come a day when God is going to set all things right. We do things and we see the external part of man and how they act. God sees the heart. He knows the desires of the heart. He knows the motivation of actions. And one day at the judgment of man, and remember in scripture, there's two judgments. There's the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ in which believers will be judged. And then there's the great white throne judgment in which unbelievers will be judged. There's nothing hidden before God. He knows all. And in fact, at the judgment, the great white throne judgment, it says, and then there was books that were opened and all the deeds of all of the lost men are written down in these books. So there's nothing hidden from God. So if you have had an injustice done on you or or whatever your situation, know that one day, one day, God will make it all right. Yep. And that's Good why word. we want, that's why I encourage people, you want to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior and be covered by his blood so that on that day, you know, you are saved and you stand before the Lord, even where we'll be judged on what we've done. But the good news is, even as believers, where we have not done as much as we should or we've failed, we're still covered by the blood of Jesus, and we have an eternal mm-hmm. home. Can I, can I one amendment to that? Because this has come up in my end times class a couple times, where we have discussed uh, what this judgment seat of Christ looks like. Remember, for believers, the judgment seat of Christ is really much more of a reward ceremony. That's where the church will receive our crowns that are talked about in scriptures, our rewards. But it's commonly portrayed as if our entire lives— 
are going to be, you know, shown before all of heaven. You know, when it's our turn, we go up to the front and somehow this movie of our life is going to be shown before all of heaven. And that is just not the picture I see in Scripture. In fact, just the opposite. God says in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes, that, that all of our unrighteous acts and all of our unrighteous deeds are burned up. Yep. Remember, it's God for the Christian. He says of our sin, he remembers it no more. He no longer counts our sins against us. Well, if God does not remember our sins, now remember, he's omniscient. It's basically saying that he's going to cast them aside and separate them as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more. He's really saying he's no longer going to count your sins against you. They're going to be burned up. They're not going to be shown before heaven. Um, that That's just a, a, I think it's an inaccurate and unfortunate picture that's often taught of the judgment seat of Christ. That's a good word, and you're right, Jeff. There, You know, we literally have passed out of judgment, says Lord Jesus. And when I stand there before the Lord, you know, Jesus is my advocate and your advocate, and we're going to be okay. And so it's not a rehearsal of all the mistakes we've made or sins. That's what his blood was for. It is, if anything, you know, um, Basically, the angels applauding that we did what we were told to do. Hmm. Well done, gentlemen. So I've got like 9% battery life left on my laptop. So <laughs> you can text 877-933-2484, or you can also send your message by carrier pigeon or smoke signals, because that's... <laughs> Works for me. What I'm going to need here in the next, uh, you know, probably six minutes or so. So, uh, yeah, again, 877-933-2484. So... Let me see. Great questions coming in here. I just can't see them very well. Let's see. Um, can you guys discuss near-death experiences? Should we believe our spirit temporarily leaves the body and we return to our physical body because it's not yet time for us to die? I got a whole thing on that. But Good. Go ahead and tell us, Bill. Well, we can talk about that you know, in depth uh, maybe after the break. Um, because I think it's it's an interesting discussion. It you is. hear a lot of people that are trying to sell a story uh, based on their near-death experience, and I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it indicates that. Um, and if you are going to have a near-death experience, uh, when you return, I would think there would be a, a testimony that would be exalting the cross or speaking of the righteousness of God and the judgment Precisely. to come. Um, but you never hear that. You always hear, I, I saw my best friend from high school and my second dog I had, and... And then this guy, I think, was Jesus. I'm going, what? <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah, it is. And there is much more to this than we're being led on. I think that Satan, Satan is very good at taking any truth of the Lord Jesus and trying to repaint it into something else. So these people that have these kind of experiences, the people I've been with, the reason I came to say this was a real experience is because two things happened. One— they glorified the Lord Jesus Christ from that moment forward in their life, and it changed their life to live for him. If I don't see those two things, I don't take the rest of it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Jeff Redoy, anything You know, else? I was—yeah, I've always been a little skeptical of some of these stories. Look, I, I know heaven exists, mm-hmm. and I know that when a believer dies, they go to heaven. And— um, you know, there's been lots of books and lots of movies written, especially in the last 15 years or so. I think there's, I have a list of them. There's like 20 books that have come out recently uh, about people's experiences of going to heaven and coming back. And I, and I often 
find it interesting why the church is so curious about, you know, what some child's experience was in their experience of, you know, going to heaven and coming back in, in this book or movie or whatever, when God has told us in his word that we go to heaven when we die. Um, but at the same time, somebody challenged me uh, a couple of years ago, and I read a book called Imagine Heaven. Uh, I think the author's name was John Burke, and he had studied a couple thousand of these experiences. And you know what? There's many, many commonalities that, uh, that these people have experienced. And one of them is just this internal sense of complete joy and love. And it's like, you know, that's kind of how I would picture going to heaven and coming back. And we know that it's possible. We know that Paul was caught up to the third heaven and saw inexpressible things that, by the way, he was not permitted to tell, but then came back to earth. That was and, a vision, and I though, think Jeff. That, that was not a near-death yeah, experience. It, it was a vision, but I actually think that Paul's experience happened. Do you remember the story? It's it, it's about an Acts um maybe nine or 10 or 11, I can't remember exactly where it is, where Paul is stoned by uh, the by some people that get upset at what he's preaching, this resurrection, and it's, and they left him for dead. But then the next verse is, Paul got, got up and walked back into the city. And so I actually think that his experience of being caught up to the third heaven is linked to the point where he was stoned. And so he says, I know a man that was caught up into the third heaven, and he says, in body or out of body, I do not know. Um, and so he doesn't know exactly how he was caught up to heaven, but he saw experiences. But you're right, I'm with you. I I have a natural skepticism. I know that we can know about heaven from God's word, and I know I can trust God's word. I have no—here's the bottom line. I have no basis for evaluating someone's personal experience of going to heaven or, or not. I just have no basis for calling it true or false, actually. Um, so I discount them a little bit. But, uh, but I know there's an actual heaven, and we are going to go there when we die. Yeah, Acts 14, starting at verse 9, is where it talks about Paul being stoned. And the people left him for dead, but then he got up, and uh, the disciples took him away from there. I agree. I'm always skeptical of these things when I don't hear, especially when I don't hear any glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, or any of that. And so I'm always cautious. And, you know, having written about this uh, in a book and, and taught on this, I'm very—I get a lot of email from people, and I'm always very cautious at what I repeat. Because I want to make sure it lines up with the Word of God. Are they in your fan club? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that makes it interesting. Also, you think of Hebrews nine twenty seven, and it is appointed for men to die once, then after that face judgment. I know it's a near death experience, but um, it is uh, if you're if you're not recognizing the if it's not lining up with scriptures, and you talk about Jesus, is it the Jesus of the Bible? Right. that you're having an encounter there, with. Right. There is an there is a a component to that bill absolutely where if you are telling me something about heaven that isn't in scripture then by definition it's an extra biblical revelation yes. about heaven. Yes. So and and if it's consistent with what I already know about heaven well then why do I need the testimony of of somebody else to confirm what's written in the Bible because I already believe in scripture. But there are there are hundreds and thousands of examples of people who have come had some kind of experience and come back. And some of the most interesting ones that I found that I read in, in this book anyway. And I, you know again, what, Jeff, I, I'm just realizing we have got to take a break. So can you hold that right. thought? Yeah. I know yeah. you're good at holding thoughts. So 
uh, Jeff Verdorn, Tom Parrish. Guy Talk, let me know what your questions are. 877-933-2484. We have the extended version today, so we're going to go a full 90 minutes. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arno. All right, we are back. And if you're loading up your carrier pigeon with your next question, you can stop. Because it just turns out <laughs> uh, Nat has got a power cord uh, for me. He's bringing it into the studio right now. So, Woo-hoo. yeah, we'll wait and see when it gets Thank here. Thank you, Nat. But, yeah, Nat's great. So, all right, uh, it is time for Guide Talk, extended version today. We're going to go another full hour, so make sure your questions uh, get over here. Text them to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Here's a question that came in. My dad was very abusive to me and still is. He won't admit to anything. He also um, he also is saved how would so how would justice be done if you were hurt by a believer well there's a process actually described in scripture that when someone sins against you um you're supposed to bring that sin to them so matthew 18 describes this process and if they don't listen to you then and and as a child going to a parent this actually might be very hard to point out the sin of your parents uh, parents tend to not want to receive correction too well from their from their children it's just i think it's a human nature kind of thing um and and so you might need to enlist somebody else to help you with this but if if it's if other people see this uh, abuse or abusive behavior that you're describing. Well, then uh, I would suggest finding someone else and listing them, and 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 both of you coming to them and saying, "Look, we're seeing this behavior. We don't think it's this is a Christ-like kind of behavior that we're seeing," and uh, you know, and pointing the sin out to them. So I think that's the biblical approach: is you, you don't just don't just let them you know, continue on. We are to point these things out to our brothers when they are, you know, falling short of God's calling on their life. But uh, but like I said, a child-parent relationship is often a difficult one, and, and you might want to enlist either, a, you know, the, the mother or a close friend or the your father's brother or a relative, close relative that's also a believer who could go to them and maybe point these things out, especially if they recognize the behavior uh, as well. I agree, and I think uh, added to that, and I think that's good counsel, uh, you need to really spend some dedicated time in prayer, seeking the Lord to speak to your dad and to speak to you. Because oftentimes in these situations, the hurt is so great from the past that we distort things. Not saying it didn't happen. It really did happen. But we can't get by it as an individual. But the person who perpetrates it often can't see it. They thought they were doing what they had to do or whatever it may be, or they're blinded by it. So there needs to be some spiritual revelation here. And then coming with family members coming, as Matthew 18 says, I think is a great idea and it needs to be done. And if you do it and if they don't listen and they refuse, then we know it says take it to the whole church and uh, then move on from there. Mm -hmm. But it's a hard one. But I, I really, I've worked with a lot of people that have had parents die that were like this. And they say, what do I do now? Because I can't confront my dad. I can't confront my mom. What do I do? And my counsel has always been, 
you need to lay this at the feet of Jesus because he can deal with your mom and dad in eternity in the ways that are healthy. And well, he will really deal with them properly. You need to give it over and let it go. And I'm not going to tell you that's an easy process because I worked for months and years with some people on these things. You know, I think God can change a person. So when Pastor Tom was talking about prayer, if you earnestly pray for that behavior specifically and ask God to change them, God is in the life-changing business, so he can change them. Uh, for For the child, for the person who asked the question, I think there's a couple important things that we should add to this. And one, you you can't hold a grudge against your your father. I think that idea of forgiving someone, don't holding it against them, don't let that root of bitterness well up in you. You are responsible for being obedient or submitting to your parents. And and that's your job. The parent is not to exasperate their children, not be abusive, not to exasperate. So that's their role. That's their problem. You are to submit. So still remember to be that child that submits to your parents and uh, and be forgiving. And then uh, I guess the final thing is we have a tendency because earthly fathers tend to fall short in a lot of ways. I think there's been more pain in more lives caused by bad parenting, abusive parenting than probably any other cause. Don't translate the the problems with your hev- with your earthly father to your heavenly father. And I think that's a natural tendency because scripture describes God as our heavenly father. And sometimes we take the issues and problems and hurts from our earthly fathers and we ascribe them to our heavenly father. May I add one more thought to this? What I'm seeing here, and I I can see it, I've been a pastor for many years, and I can see how these things happen and why we where we fail in Christianity. Among evangelical Christians who call for a personal relationship with Jesus, that you repent of your sins, you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, that type of thing, and then you're saved, which is true. But we often end there with people. We don't go beyond that to say, you are also making a lifelong decision to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ and a disciple maker, as Second Corinthians talks about. Five, when people don't understand this, once they get saved, too many of them go back to their old way of behavior without any pursuing Jesus in terms of becoming a lifelong disciple. We need to work on all people, regardless of age, in that process that Our goal as a believer is not merely to be saved, as wonderful as that is, but it is to become like Jesus in this world and to reflect him to our kids, to our spouse, to the people we work with, to people around us. If we did that, I think all of us would agree it'd be a much different world. Hmm. Nicely done. Another comment just came in. I think we kind of handled that, but what if our parents are unbelievers? How do we handle it then? More challenging, all the principles still apply, right? Yeah, they apply. You can still confront them. That's the appropriate thing to do. Don't think you're going to get necessarily the same response because they're not listening to the Lord. There I'd spend a lot more time, and I have with people where we literally get on our knees together at their home and pray for mom and dad and pray sometimes for hours because mom and dad need a spiritual awakening. Mm. And if they don't get that, you know, it's very hard for them to understand what you're even talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, Ephesians say, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It doesn't say obey your Christian parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord. Yeah, good point, Jeff. Now, I remember in the first half hour, we were talking about uh, being in that waiting phase of life when you're hoping circumstances improve. And I asked if any listener had any counsel or any advice, and 
uh, got a great piece of it here. During the worst of times, the Lord was so incredibly close. One gift the Lord gave me was my walk around Jericho. My walk around Jericho is seven verses the Lord gave me. I would quote those verses over and over, and an amazing peace would settle over me. Without a doubt, this was the peace that passeth all understanding. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? And, and I would love to hear those seven verses. I know, me too. Yeah, please send those in. Yeah, if you can, please send them in. And Chris just uh, texted in and said, yay, 90 minutes. That's good, too. It's wonderful. It's they don't of, want you guys off. Part of my fan club. They, <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't want you off in an hour. They, they're happy that it's going to last, uh, last 90. All right, here's it a does. tough it one. It goes quick. Here's a tough one, gentlemen. Hi, guys. I, I have a spouse who refuses to forgive anything. Seriously, anything. Still brings up things from high school. We are celebrating 32 years of marriage today. But there's always a bite to her words. No infidelity, but has completely abandoned me financially, emotionally, and spiritually. She works, watches TV, and sleeps. She has no interest in counseling. I'm a believer. She says she is too. But no one we know sees it. How can I get out of this, or am I doomed to suffer? I think for any situation, like we were talking about before, God is in the life-changing business. Bring this to God uh, and and just pray about these specific behaviors and see if you start seeing a change. But secondly, you know, I think in, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's these instructions on for husbands and wives. And in, in verse 22, it says, wives, you're to do such and such. Husbands, you're to do such and such. I think one of the issues that we have is that husbands read the wife's section and say, you need to do that. And, and wives read the husband's section and say, why aren't you doing that? I think the husbands should should focus on what it says for husbands to do, and wives should focus on what wives are supposed to do. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I think that is at the core what you should do, not dependent upon how they act, not dependent on how they respond. It's it's, And if they're acting in the way that this person has described, it, it's hard. It can be hard to love your wife just as Christ loved the church, but that's what we as husbands are called to do. Bottom line is, I would advise you in the situation, you've been married 32 years, you need to spend a lot of time seeking the Lord Jesus for your spouse, seeking that you really hear them, that you really speak for him. Oftentimes, even as Christians, we let our emotions drive us rather than the Scripture itself. Hmm. When you run into somebody that literally lives a lifetime with unforgiveness, we know we've got a serious problem there because you cannot be a saved person and not reach that point of forgiveness. First, you've got to forgive to receive Jesus. Then that's part of the walk that comes afterward. So it, it needs to be together. Oftentimes, I have had to help people understand there is a place for talking to your spouse biblically. And I have literally counseled people in saying, all right, from this moment on, when your spouse gets angry, swears at you, uses the Lord's name in vain, because that often happens, you need to come back and say, why are you grieving the Lord Jesus Christ? Why are you grieving the one who loves you so much? The emphasis needs to be back on Jesus, not on you, because they need to come to confrontation with Jesus and the fact that they are using either his name or they're claiming they belong to him but there's no semblance of behavior that goes with that. And I know in my life, 
there are times I've needed that. It wakes you up. What am I doing if I'm not reflecting Jesus? And that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Well done, mm-hmm. Tom Parrish. Do, do you guys remember the movie War Room? And it was about a couple that was having marital issues. And uh, an, an elderly lady told the wife to go to her prayer closet, her yes. war room, yes. and just start praying and praying and praying. And this is a Kendrick Brothers movie. And 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 the movie is a fabulous movie, by the way. And the, the husband's attitude and his heart was just changed over time as she just submitted to him and loved him and was tried to be the best wife she could. And it changed him through the power of prayer and through her own personal behavior. I think in any relationship, two people are either spiraling down or they're building each other up. And when we criticize and we condemn and so on each other, we're spiraling down and it's never a good situation. But when we build each other up, when we encourage one another, we love one another, we can build the other person up and they then in turn will hopefully change and their heart will change. Well done. So last night, at five o'clock, my guest was Carmen LaBerge, and we were doing our series on the words of Jesus, which we call our red word, red letter series. So if you have a red letter Bible, it would be the the words in red in that edition. And we were talking about John 18. And I was uh, fascinated with a comment she made. And I kind of wanted to just bring it up again because it's so good. And it's uh, on in verse uh, 37, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And, and Pilate flies off the handle and says, well, what is truth? And Carmen made this great point. She said, he should have asked, he asked the wrong question. He shouldn't have asked, what is truth? He should have asked, who is truth? Because who is truth was standing right in front of him. What an there's incredible a, opportunity. Yeah. No. There's a famous uh, painting. It's called Essay Home, uh, Behold the Man. And it is uh, a painting of this scene where Jesus is before Pilate. And he he's asked him this question, this famous question, what is truth? And you're absolutely right. He did not understand that the truth, the way, the truth, and the life was standing right before him. Uh, but the painting is is uh, just a wonderful painting and a reminder that this the, God came to earth in the form of of a man and man did not recognize him and crucified him. Good point. And it's still going on today. You can Hmm. go to church all your life and you can hear the stories and you can read the word. But if you don't understand who Jesus really is and that affects your life, you're missing the point just like Pilate did. All right. We'll take a little break. Let me know what your questions or comments are. I'd love to get them. 877-933- 2484. We're going to do an extended version of God Talk today, which means we're going to go another 45 minutes. So we do uh, love your questions. Again, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting 
MyFaithRadio.com. All right, we are back with Guy Talk, guys who talk. They do such a nice job of talking. One of the panelists today has a fan club, and it's not me or Jeff. So, <laughs> Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, pipe down over there. Okay, um, this whole idea of th- this uh, listener that said, boy, I've got a-, a wife I've been married to for 32 years, and she's not forgiving, and we're not uh, getting along. I love it when other listeners minister to other listeners. Absolutely. I've got a couple of comments. My wife and I have been praying together for over 15 years. Wish we had started this when we were first married, but I wouldn't have been ready. We've been married 37 years this year. Wonderful. So although he has been praying for his marriage and his uh, wife, I wonder if they're praying together. That's a thought. And the other thing that came in is my advice as a wife is ask God daily to show you the one next way to communicate love in your wife's love language. Then ask God to show you what untruth about God she is believing. Yes, that's war room protocol. That's good stuff. That is good stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um, all right. So 877-933-2484. There's a question. So why should we bother to try to bring the gospel to the unreached now if they will be reached automatically after the rapture? I'm not sure I understand that question. Well, there's no automatic anything. Uh, right. God, yeah. Yeah, God offers salvation to whosoever, right. but whosoever needs to believe in order to be saved. Um, so it, both before the rapture and after the rapture, God offers this salvation. Whosoever believes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the grave, you will be saved. That bona fide offer of salvation is true today. It's true tomorrow. It's next week, next month, the the day before the rapture, the day after the rapture, and every day uh, for for I believe what happens after that is a seven year tribulation. Every day during that tribulation, God is continuing offering His salvation to whosoever. And that great quote you just had came from Romans ten nine and ten, one of the best in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about the comment. I'm still stuck on this thirty two year marriage today. So the anniversary of the marriage is today. And I'm wondering if women who are listening, does your husband instigate prayer time with you? I'm curious if you would send me that. I'd love to know. 877-933-2484. And the answer could just be yes or no. Because I'd be real curious if godly men out there are pursuing their spouse saying, "Let's, honey, let's pray. I would say in, in my marriage, the last... 35 years, we've just initiated it with each other. Okay. Virtually every day to some form. Sometimes it's real short. Sometimes it's much longer. Uh, but it's a, it's a constant, ongoing reality because we both recognize that without the voice of Jesus in our life, our marriage isn't going to work, our kids aren't going to work, and our ministry is not going to work. And so we're always talking to the Lord together. Yeah, but your fan club's working. There you go. <laughs> Thought about where, do, where do you find where do you find out about this fan club? By well, the way? I, I, I want to I want to join it. Well, no, it's a very exclusive membership. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you can yeah. you can send in your your audition tape, but I don't know if you'll get chosen. All the people you know are, what I. 
Go ahead, Tom. All the counseling I've done over the years, the best thing the Lord taught me almost 30 years ago, and I've had all kind of training in psychology, have all kind of training in, in counseling, but I find what really works is if I can get a couple to agree that when they're counseling with me, they will spend three minutes in prayer together every single day. And the rule is simple. The man gets 90 seconds to pray about himself. Can't pray about his wife, but about what he needs to get right with the Lord. She can do the same thing. Then after a couple of weeks of that, then they can pray for a blessing on their spouse, even though they're praying about themselves. What's been good for me to see is that every single couple, Bill, and I'm being honest here, that has done that and continue to do that, had their marriage healed, had their problems cleared up, Hmm. and have a joyous life, and have taught other people how to do that. There's no magic about this. It's you pray, the Lord interacts, and things happen. Mm -hmm. A pastor friend of mine, when he does his marriage counseling at at his church, he uh, also requests that you guys need to go home and pray about your marriage for the next 30 days and then come back and see me in a month. If you're still having issues, then we can start doing our counseling sessions and so on. But he'll ask them, have you tried praying about your marriage together? And virtually every time they say, no, we haven't done that. And so he sends them home and says, pray together for the next 30 days and then come back and talk to me. Mm. So when I ask the question, is your husband pursuing you for prayer? The first five text messages that came in, four said no, one said yes. I am really sorry to hear that. Any man out there, and I'll just be blunt, I'm a man. Any man out there that claims Jesus as Lord and Savior must take the initiative to guide his family in the Word and in Jesus and in prayer. And not only should you be praying with your spouse, you should be praying with your kids. And even if they're adults, I have three adult kids, one in Texas, one across, one here in town. I will often call them and say, tell me how it's going. Let me pray with you right now. And we will pray on the phone. Nice. Or we can use Zoom once in a while, too, which is fun. I like that. You know, on husbands in that Ephesians 5 chapter that we were talking about earlier, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. What Tom just described is this headship role of the man. If you are the man of the house, you are the spiritual head of the household as well. And you should be the one initiating uh, that spiritual growth of your family and covering of your family. Pray for your wife, pray with your wife, pray for your kids, pray with your kids. Uh, That's what I, that's a big part of being that spiritual head of the house. Okay. We're up to one yes and seven no's now. And the, the last note was my husband who says he's a Christian does not initiate prayer and Bible study in our marriage or family. And it hurts deeply. You know, I honestly, Bill, wish I could sit down and talk with these men. I mean, I'd like 10 minutes with each of these men just to look them in the eye and ask them, what are you living really for? How are you honoring Jesus in your marriage? How are you honoring Jesus in your job? Because most of them have never put those two together. Mm. And I think it's easy. You know, I've been married 50 years now. I'm I'm only 37, but it's been great. But the problem is you can take the other person so for granted that you forget they need prayer. And they need to be prayed with. And if you're a Christian, you need to be asking yourself, Jesus, am I honoring you in my marriage by doing this? And if you're not, please call me. Mm-hmm. All right, Tom Parrish. <laughs> let's, let's pray, Tom, if you would, for these couples who have responded uh, today with no's and they are uh, feeling hurt and wounded and they would probably love nothing more than their husband to say, 
Honey, let's pray and let's do Bible study. Here's another note that just came in. So this is a, a hurting response, in my opinion. It is. Yeah. Let's, so would you pray? Yeah. Lord Jesus, you know these families, you know these marriages, you know why these men aren't doing this. And Lord, wake them up. Speak to them in a vision or a dream. Speak to them from your words. Speak to them in circumstances, but wake them up to understand their leadership role in representing you and in bringing peace and joy to their home and to their spouse by praying and initiating prayer. And so, Lord, we put this in your hands, and we ask you to move in these men's heart and move now. And, Lord, we trust you're going to speak to many of them, and they're going to wake up. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I love this comment. Just just came in from a, a couple that I believe both listen to the show regularly, and the answer was, yes, my husband is my hero. Oh, wow. Mm. Isn't that great? I, I think it's great. Thank yeah. you, Jan. <laughs> nice try. I was just going to say, it sounds like he has a fan club, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The good news is uh, that we've got another 30 minutes of guide talk just ahead. The bad news is we're coming up on the top of the hour. We're going to have to take a break here. Uh, but that doesn't mean uh, that it's not uh, going to continue, and it is. So send your questions over. We still have time for your question, 877 2484 again 8779332484 my panel today is pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn and we're always happy to take any question you have you know i know you've been thinking about a question maybe one you you would even like to ask your pastor but you haven't gotten around to doing it or maybe you don't have the courage to do it so you can ask Jeff or or Tom or me but we'll do our best to answer Whatever question you send over, 877-933-2484. Lots more Guide Talk just ahead. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.